Welcome to the People Performance Podcast. My name is Renee Vincelli. I am a former corporate executive in banking, former project management director, mother of three, turned consultant and coach for those who want to grow their individual, team, and organizational capability. Each week, I deliver an episode focused on my two favorite topics, people and performance. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the People Performance Podcast. I'm Renee Vincelli. Today, I have the second part of our two-part episode with Lee Lambert. Um, Lee Lambert is a PMP, a PMI fellow, and the CEO of Lambert Consulting Group. He has logged 50-plus years of project management experience and is considered to be one of the world's thought leaders on project management methods and how they can be used to create and sustain value, leadership, and collaboration. He is one of only 70 in the world to receive the honor of PMI Fellow. He's a past president of the Central Ohio PMI and was one of the founders of the Project Management Institute's PMP credential. His book, Project Management, The Common Sense Approach, is a bestseller in the field. On our episode last week, Lee and I had a great conversation on his background, his history in this profession of project management, his 50-plus year career in this field, and um, quite, a, quite a lot of discussion about um, that background, uh, the history of the PMP and how it grew, how it grew to be one of the big credentials in business um, in the world, um, as well as a variety of other things, culture, um, in, in, in prioritization and a few things. Today, we pick up the conversation talking about change management. We also talk a bit about agile and agile methods. Lee shares his perspectives on career advice and the importance of mentorship. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you have not listened to that first episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, I think you'll get a lot out of listening to both of them together. Enjoy. That makes sense. You know, one of the things I've noticed in my career, I'm, I'd love your, your your comment on this, is the connection between prioritization and change management. So if you think about employee impacting projects or client impacting projects, um, and you you try to do too many of them, right? The, yeah. the cumulative impact of all of them on a given stakeholder, whether it be your clients or your employee employees, is so vast mm-hmm. that it can't be done well. And so I feel like there's this very significant connection between those two things. What do you think? Well, I think there is. I think it's linked. I think it's linked one-to-one. I don't see, I don't see how you'll ever be an effective change management uh, person without being able to make that linkage. And there's a, there's another more subtle linkage too, because it's not always the number of people it's the skill set mismatch that we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we if we think we need a subject matter expert, but they're all assigned to other projects, then I'm going to get someone in much lesser capability mm-hmm. uh, and has a much greater impact on the project. Well, we just kind of ignore that. Management tends to think body count is body count. Uh, and if you need a person, I'll give you a person. Don't question me about what their skill set is. Just take them and do what you can with them. So I think that they're linked together. I, I don't see I don't see how you can disconnect change management and the utilization of prioritization. Yeah, I agree. It's that definitely been my experience. What um, what other elements do you believe are required to manage change well? And where does this notion of these more human skills come in? I feel like change management has been something else that, you know, with with 
uh, you know, certifications and other things can, can at times boil down to, for some folks to templates and process and structure when it's, it's so much more than that when it's done well. So what, what is your view on that? Yeah, it is. And it kind of links to John, Spencer Johnson's book, to tell you the truth. I, I think when we're going to make a change, I think the individual person or people who are responsible for that change need to understand why it's being made. You need to understand what the impacts will be if they don't make it. So that I basically am doing a selling job. Uh, now, management doesn't buy into this. They don't sell, they tell. Uh, and, and, and they pay a price for that. Uh, I have found, and I ran a project in Indianapolis. It was supposed to be a three-year project. We got it done in 18 months. Uh, with 205 people because we all bought in. We all, we all understood what it was we were trying to do. We understood that the company might be out of business if we don't get it done. And so once everybody understood that, then there were, I didn't have to ask anybody to work overtime. They worked 14 hours a day, seven days a week for 18 months. But they did it on their own because they understood. I don't think we take enough time with employees now. We just expect them to do what they're told, and that's not human nature. Mm -hmm. And so the more I can do that. Now, there will always be a time when you have to say, no, I've, I, you, I have explained it to you, you understand it. But the fact of the matter is, this is what we have to do. I mean, there are times that you can't, you can't be democratic. Sometimes you do have to be autocratic. But the more democratic you can be, the more long-term benefit your organization will reap from that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about agile um, in, in the rise of agile type methodologies. Um, these are all the rage these days. Um, certainly the organizations I have been, the networking I've done, the people that I know, it's certainly a huge topic, um, this, this notion of agile. And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the rise of agile? Is it here to stay? Um, how is it similar? How is it different in terms of the evolution of uh, PMP? And just generally, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not an agile guy, so I can be very candid about this. Nobody can hold it against me. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a scrum master. I'm not a D, I'm none of those things. But here's the deal. Uh, agile hit the deck running about probably now five to seven years ago, approximately. Well, the manifesto for agile was written in 2001. Mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of guys got drunk and went, I mean, a bunch <laughs> of guys went up to the ski lodge at, at Park City, Utah, and uh, spent the time until they knocked out this uh, manifesto. It's a big son of a gun. It's a, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. Well, here's the thing. It's nothing new. It's not, there's nothing new in Agile. The only thing that Agile does that I really love it for is it forces communication to take place. Mm -hmm. And it forces it to take place in short-term, not long-term scenarios. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it, uh, frankly, when we put the first PMBOK out in 96, now we were already getting PMPs well before that. So we didn't even have a PMBOK when we first started. But when we got the PMBOK in, one of the pages in the PMBOK in the planning section, talked about rolling wave planning. Mm -hmm. And basically our, con our, our, our message was, don't try to plan a project in its entirety because you know it's gonna change. You know it's not gonna stay the same. So plan it in smaller increments. And then as you get close to the end of that, reach out, pull some more in, reach out, pull mm -hmm. some more. Guess what? That's agile. That's mm -hmm. exactly what agile is. So we created agile. 
We people in the we we create. I tell agile people that they don't they don't buy it. But I I do think uh, I love things like uh, the retrospectives uh, where we're doing learning curve assessment before we get to the end of the project. I love that. I love that. I love stand up meetings. I I love a daily stand up meeting. And the thing I've noticed with agile though is that they kind of. They've kind of gone away from having real key decision makers in those stand-up meetings. So then they start to look like the meeting you and I might have where nothing mm. ever gets done. We just <laughs> talk about it a lot. So, we, But the stand-up meetings, if you're doing those on a regular basis, how can you screw anything up? I mean, you, you say, uh, there's three questions, right? Uh, what did I get done yesterday? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I plan to get done today? And what will cause me not to get that done? Those three questions. That's that's all you need to ever ask in those meetings. And the next thing you know, you've got your plan for tomorrow. And I think that's that's where Agile. I'm, I've listened to to Mark Lines and I've listened to Scott Ambler so much. It just I mean I don't even want to listen anymore because uh, I've heard the same stories. I mean I, they they know what they're talking about. They're sharp guys. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if you really dissect it. Isn't that different? Mm-hmm. Uh, all it really is is much more emphasis on timely communication. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. You know, we talked a few minutes ago about the PMP, which we both acknowledge that the credential itself is not a silver bullet. We talked about Agile just now, and you shared your perspectives there and said it's you know it's not too different, but there's definitely some value in you know those meetings and the communication and all these things. So is the success factor in project management or implementing change, is it to a high degree just doing things that make sense, you know, common sense, taking what works from different elements and applying them appropriately? I mean, is that it does a lot of it boil down to that or maybe I'm oversimplifying? No, you're not. You're not. I wish everybody was over oversimplifying like you are. I wrote a book about project management and then the under, underscore title was the common sense approach. I, I think that so much, in fact, I'm doing a thing for Baton Rouge on selecting the right tools for project management. And one of the points that I try to make to them is common sense has to prevail. Just because you've got a toolbox full of tools doesn't mean you use them all. And so that's kind of what I think it does. Uh, I do think that having an agile credential, which certainly is one now, is a good idea. It confirms... Uh, that you understand the concepts, that you understand the terminology and so on. I I don't have anything against that. Uh, But I think the other thing you have to remember is there will always be a project that doesn't benefit from Agile. There will always be that that construction project or that production project or some some project that doesn't lend itself to sprints. Uh, and, and in that case, then, then we're saying we use hybrid. Well, what we mean by that is we're, we're kind of combining waterfall with the more traditional approach. So I think there's always going to be that. But that gets right back to the same question. Isn't that just common sense based to decide which approach is going to be best for your project? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So maybe it's a hybrid. Yeah, I mean, don't just use one because somebody said it's good. Make sure you understand it for what it can add. And more and more, I'm seeing hybrid, which makes more sense because now we're admitting it's not 100% agile. It's part waterfall. It's part agile. Uh, It's uh, it's so much different than the adaptive, just literally the adaptive process. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So lastly, I wanted to talk about leadership and whether you're talking about your, your example of IBM was really telling and really interesting to me. Um, when you think about leadership of companies, corporations, big organizations, small organizations that are implementing change and leveraging project management or agile or you know common sense approach, however you want to think about it for doing that, what are the things that you think that they need to do more of or less of to make these these efforts more successful? Well, first of all, I think they have to provide a much clearer vision for the people that are going to be implementing it. Mm -hmm. I think people need to understand why they're doing a project so that they know there's some relevance to overall project success based on that. I think we have to recognize their performance we have to make an example of them, if you will, uh, for good performance so that people understand that. I think they need to have, uh, uh, use the term publicity. They, people need to be comfortable that what they're doing has relevance and the people are noticing, the people are, are, are recognizing that we're going above and beyond. So when we, uh, when we did this project in 18 months, it's supposed to take three years, the CEO of that company, who was a DuPont turnaround specialist, come in to save this company. Uh, he wanted to provide them a bunch of bonus targets. And so I said, no, I, don't, I don't believe in that. I said, if you got to pay people to work, then obviously they're not motivated. And so uh, he was very upset with me about that. So I said, let me go back to the team and we'll see if, I mean, if they feel, I mean, I'm just a project manager. If they want to do it, I'll do it. So I went back to them and we voted on it. And I think all but seven or eight people voted against a bonus pool. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I went back and told him he was very angry. Uh, and so uh, I said, well, one of the things they told me was that if you, Jack, the, the CEO, if you uh, choose to spontaneously reward us if mm -hmm. we make our goals, then we're perfectly okay with that. But don't hold that carrot out in front of us like that's going to make us perform better. We're professionals. We we know what we need to do. So uh, he said, okay, all right, that's fair enough. So we did it. We got the project done. Within a week of the project completing, uh, he called everybody together and announced that he's giving everyone on the team and their significant other two weeks in Hawaii oh, on wow. him. Nice guy. Two weeks in Hawaii on him. Now, nobody turned that down. But <laughs> no, nobody, of course not. Nobody said, no, we're not doing that. And so it was It was one of the most classic examples that I can see because organizations get into this, I used to call it GE stick and carrot routine. Mm -hmm. uh, and they get into that thinking that if they wave some kind of reward, you'll perform at a higher level. It's not true. It's not true personal recognition, ability to develop uh, training-wise, all of those issues are what turn people into high-level performers. So I, I think uh, when I think about leadership, that's sort of the reputation in a corporate world. The reputation I had was uh, I could develop high-performance teams. Mm -hmm. And high-performance teams are valuable teams. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what it takes to do that. It's not easy. Not, yeah. not simple. And you got to be willing to give a little of yourself to be able to do it. Uh, but the, the satisfaction that comes seeing something like that take hold, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's interesting. I, I had a conversation with someone um, recently where they were telling me about similar, much smaller in, uh, in size and in uh, cost 
example of reward. And, you know, they had a, a release. It was a technology project and a pretty senior executive showed up with donuts, you know, pizza, something like that. Very small yep. you know, at this very important yep. time. And people were like, wow, they care. They're involved. Yeah. They're engaged. Oh, they know right. who's doing this work. And so I think just being engaged and being present and supporting people goes a ton of, ton of a long way, even if it's not a uh, trip to Hawaii, which I bet those folks were overjoyed. Oh yeah, it was a fun trip. And, and uh, I, I, uh, I was excited to go myself, but Jack told me, you're not going, you're a contractor. <laughs> so I paid my own way and we had a good time. <laughs> but but in that, along those lines, I, I should have mentioned this. I didn't, we didn't wait till the end. Uh, one of the things I did, because these guys are working 14 hours a day, is that we had events in the build. We had animals in the building. We had uh, costumes people would wear. It was literally, we had, we, we agreed to have professional decorum from eight to five. After five, God knows what's going to happen. Uh, and, and people began to have fun. Kids would come to the day, the family day and go, so this is what dad or mom does. And so all of a sudden now, we don't just have the team. We've got their whole damn family mm-hmm. participating in the project. And it made all the difference in the world. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it just sounds like such a fun environment to be a part of, which if all projects from all project managers in all companies could have that kind of result, how, how amazing yeah. would that be? I, I don't know well, that they all do, but, but when they do, that's amazing. Um, and that's certainly the goal that we should all be striving for. So Lee, you have had a really, really long and successful career in project management. Um, not a lot of people can say that they have had an impact on shaping an entire profession and an industry, but you can, you can say that. And so congratulations on that. Um, what advice do you have for folks that are at the beginning of their career that you wish someone would have shared with you? Yeah, it took me about seven years to decide what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I think if, if people coming out of college, because they don't know, I mean, they got a college degree, but so what? They don't know, they don't know much of anything. Uh, if they could find someone uh, to mentor them, I, I found someone after about six years and, and it made all the difference in the world is, is to coach. As you said before, coaching is so critical uh, to a young person, especially because otherwise, if they have to learn by trial and error, by getting their fingers burned, uh, it's going to take too long. I mean, if somebody came right out of school and you said, look, if, if you think this project management is an idea you're interested in, let me tell you what it's going to take to be successful and help them do that from day one. So by year two or three, they kind of got a good handle on what it is they want to accomplish. So I'm, I, uh, I just had to identify in an article I wrote. Uh, this week about what I plan to do in one word. What are, what are you going to do next year? And that one word is mentor. Mm. I, I'm going I'm to offer my mentorship to anybody who wants it mm. uh, to be able to grow into the job uh, and, uh, and, and, and by the way, find out that it's not the right job for you. I think that's okay too. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have to go into it saying, well, I committed a project manager, I'm going to stay. Well, I was an engineer. I didn't stay in engineering. So I think it depends on the person, but I think mentoring, uh, is probably the most critical thing. Uh, and when I say mentoring, I clearly mean coaching is the same thing to me. Uh, it's going to make all the difference in that person, that young person's uh, mind. I do think that for women, especially right now is the time. 
right now we've finally woken up to the fact that women are damn good workers. Uh, <laughs> they understand what's they understand what's going on. They've got good logical sense about them. And I see that happening now uh, on LinkedIn. The number of women on LinkedIn have just gone up uh, so critically uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, I'm actually a member of a couple all women group, the only guy, uh, but I learn stuff every time I attend one of their sessions. So, uh, yeah, I think anybody that's young, just starting out, uh, takes the right kind of management. I, I, that part of that was I didn't have that at the beginning. But if you have a manager that's opening to letting you learn, letting you grow into the position and find your mentor, uh, sadly, uh, mentorship has caught on. But most organizations, it's still a volunteer role. Mm -hmm. People do it in their spare time. I think we ought to pay mentors. I think people that have the ability to be mentors, that should be their job description. Mm -hmm. The organization would benefit uh, substantially from that approach. But now it's still, will you take Bob under your wing, kind of mentor him and yeah, do that in your spare time when you're not doing something else. So I think there's, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there slowly, but surely. Well, if we, if we even started with the idea that to be an effective manager of people, to lead people, that should be something that you care about, right? That that yeah. it's not just about your own success and your own climbing the ladder and that your people are there to support you in that effort, but it's your, your job to support them and where they want to go. Um, I think if we even started with that, um, in a lot of companies, we would be um, we would be further along. I love the focus well, my, on mentorship. My approach, my approach on that. Uh, some of this must be natural because nobody taught me this. Uh, my approach on that was I want to develop the people that work for me mm -hmm. to take my job. I, I want them to take my job because if mm -hmm. they take my job, then I'm probably moving up. But I want them to understand. Uh, you you know your performance. Prepare to take my job. I said, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not yeah. afraid of competition. And if you take it away from me, then God bless you. That's good for you. And boy, I'll tell you, people really begin to say, wow, what a great attitude that is. Yep. And that's, I think that pays a big, uh, makes a big, big difference. Well, and I think too, you know, I'm going to ask you uh, our final question here in a second, but maybe this plays into it a little bit. I think it also, as the person that has that perspective, which I, I share that perspective with you, it's more rewarding and it's more um, positive personally to be the kind of person who wants others' success more than your own, right? Or even yep. maybe in, in spite of what may happen to your role or what might happen to you in the future, I think that is a better place to be in terms of feeling excited about your contribution in the world, feeling excited about the role that you play um, than really anything else could be. So I totally agree with that. So Lee, this podcast. Well, I, think I'm a little bit, I think I'm a little bit more uh, I'll say selfish, but that's not exactly the right word. But but because the way I felt about it was the more successful they were, mm -hmm. the more successful I would be. So mm -hmm. I, in one regard, it wasn't, I mean, I just didn't holistically let them have it. I mean, I basically said you develop, therefore I develop. So mm -hmm. but I think as long as people can stay with that attitude, they don't feel like they're giving up anything by helping others be successful. Yep. I, I agree with that too. I think that's right. So Lee, this podcast, um, the People Performance Podcast, is all about two things, people and performance, as you'd expect, 
Um, you can look at those words as being, you know, people is a descriptive word for performance. You know, you need people for performance. You could look at it that people come before performance, which in my view, um, both of those things are true, both of those definitions. Um, people are the lifeblood of organizations and teams. They're the creators of performance. Um, they are more important than performance in a lot of ways. And performance is really impossible without people being at their best. So for, from your perspective, I'm curious, what do you want your legacy to be as it relates to both people and performance? Uh, well, that's, I think that's a pretty easy question because you sort of related the answer as you, as you spoke. I think my, my legacy, if I, if I could have a legacy, uh, would be to have people say he knew how to get the most out of people in the job. He knew how to get people to perform in a way they felt good about themselves. And that, to me, that would, that would be the kindest thing anybody could say. I agree. That's a great, that's a great legacy. Lee Lambert, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Glad I could help out. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Lee Lambert, both this episode as well as last week's episode. If you did, please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts and give a five-star rating um, and also tell a friend about the show. If there is work that you believe that we can do together in this realm of people and performance, perhaps in the realm of project management and execution, I would love to get to know you better. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or send me an email at renee at or contact me and set up time via my website, reneevincelli.com. That is all for now, folks. Remember, people are greater than performance. People are the creators of performance, and people come before performance. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you.